Hi everyone, uh, welcome to Astrovision. My name is Astor Philpot. Today's guest uh, is Kev Curran, and he is from and founded uh, an organization called Inspired Youth, but there's a lot more to Kev's story. Um, and I'm really, really pleased to welcome him uh, onto today's podcast. So hi, Kev, and welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Just start by, because um, I know you've got, you've got um, the, the youth, Inspired Youth Organization, which... I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, drop a trailer in now to the to your to your organisation. We are a multi-award-winning organisation. We are leaders of social change. We collaborate with leading organizations to influence hearts and minds. We are driven to change the world. We challenge stigma, break down prejudice, and raise awareness. We use heart and passion to create powerful films that unlock limitless potential. We put real people at the heart of the journey. We share experience with the world to inspire hearts and minds. We share powerful stories that educate, challenge and inspire. We are Inspired Youth. Together we can achieve greatness. Aspire to more. Off the back of that, Kev, you've got that going on, but... There's, there's. Just start by telling me, uh, your, as it were, life story, um, from as early as you can remember, really. Uh, so we can get some, some background into, uh, why you started Inspired Youth. Well, I am one of nine children. Um, I'll sort of tell my story from when I was, a, you know, a child, a teenager. And um, we, we lived in poverty, there was a lot of us. Um, it was tough times, um, there were some difficulties at home. And um, effectively, my family got groomed by a perpetrator um, and abused myself and two of my other brothers. And what happened was the court case sort of was being put together by the police and the CPS. And um, the way that it worked was that the legal system basically was tr was was trying to say that it was protecting us by saying don't talk to a counsellor about your experience until afterwards because um, it might affect the court case, it might affect what happens, it might affect justice. Um, but at the same time, you've got these three traumatised sort of children um, going through this turmoil um, and really needing someone to talk to. And not really about, you know, the details of what they've been through, just about how they were feeling inside, what, you know, what, what their worries were and this kind of thing. And my mum was really, really like begging the system for some support for us. And um, the idea with a child, well, a, a child case, a, a crown court should be fast-tracked. You know, it's like, 
it's priority because the the impact of of you know that whole experience and the turmoil of going on to a stand and being cross-examined and that kind of thing is a really big thing for a child so um in a way it sort of makes sense if you say well don't talk about it now because it might risk some of the outcome but then if you're expecting that to be in court in two or three months that's not as a bad a thing as waiting for ages and ages and ages keeping all of these feelings inside and not feeling like you're getting any support so we were waiting for the trial to come to court it was a year we'd been waiting and my younger brother Declan took his own life in the family home and um, we were just all we were just all shocked and devastated and just broken as a family and it sort of tore the whole court case apart in a way um, and it meant that Declan couldn't be cross-examined and it it threw up this massive question about you know what's more important the child's well-being or this archaic system which is sort of insinuating a child's going to make up some sort of story behind closed doors when they've already given a, a video interview to the police it's not like they can sort of change the story so it was this feeling that like the perpetrator you, you're almost being treated like the perpetrator you're almost being treated like the you know the one that's committed the crime when you're the victim and so it threw up this big question for me which was would my brother still be alive if they'd been giving him the support that he needed and would the would the guy have been convicted for the crimes that he did against my brother um in the end the, the you know um we lost a brother and we didn't really feel like we got justice and so um after that obviously i was 15 your, your hormones are everywhere when you're 15 you're trying to find your identity and who you are and what you're about and then you have this massive trauma and I can remember back to it I was like I got sleep paralysis and I don't know if you know much about that but it's a really scary experience and I kept on having this while I was like sleeping and then um, I could just remember just wanting to like not well not really caring about myself anymore not really caring about life not really feeling like anyone was bothered and we just got let down by the system and it didn't really matter about getting us help and you know it was all like I was an angry teenager um, and I think when I was about 16, 17 I, I actually took made an attempt on my own life because I was just that miserable and um, for me it was a teacher at college because they found me on college had taken an overdose and an ambulance took me away and, I remember the teacher meeting me the next week and just being like, Kev, I understand your story. I understand what you've been through and it's really traumatic, but you're, you know, you're a really talented guy and you've got so much to give. Like it'd be a real shame if what happens you stole away from you, you know, all of the potential that you've got. And um I really felt like someone was on my side, you know, someone was cheering me on and I, I really needed that in my life and it did caused a sort of turnaround in my life and I sort of started to get stuck in. I restarted the course and um, I got, a, I did a two year national diploma in, uh, in media studies um, and I just loved using expression and, and media as a way of telling stories. And I thought, well, maybe if I learn these skills and start telling stories, I can use storytelling to try and change, you know, the system um, so that it doesn't happen to other children um, like us. And so I went to uni, got a degree in, I got a degree in uh, filmmaking, in media, photo media and communications. And my first film was about my brother. It was sort of dedicated to Declan and it was sort of about turning pain into power and just how like 
issues at home and social issues and traumatic events can change the course of your life, but that, you know, there is a way of turning pain into power. There is a way of reclaiming your identity and believing in yourself again. Because I think that was the thing. When I boil it all down, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't understand my position in the world. I just felt like a nobody. And so then, you know, years later, I set up, when I left uni, I did a few jobs. I went and worked in a homeless shelter and I made a film about heroin and about the addiction and about how there was a person inside there with a story in a background that was now stuck in this revolving door and trying to trying to look at subjects to tell stories about the human side of it, the lived experience, how that person felt, what that was like from their point of view. Um, and suppose like as well, like alongside that, I've always had this like feeling of wanting to actually change the law by campaign. So I set up Declan's Law and it's a petition for the for the government to look at this issue. And I, I did it like I did it must have done it like six or seven times. And like each time I was like, right, no, I've give up now. They don't want to listen. No one cares. You know, I, I can't do this anymore. And I think it was like the last time that I did it, my sister was like, look, set it up again. We've had COVID, like there's lots of other issues and people haven't noticed it. You just need to get it to an audience. And she encouraged me and I was a bit like, whatever, you know, I've, I've given up. And she set it up. And then at some point I just felt like, come on, just have one more go doing this and I did it and it caught attention I don't know how it happened I don't know how people got onto it but lots of people started sharing it and at, at the end I was watching it go over 10,000 um, signatures and I was like wow I'm gonna get a response and then the response was like sort of what I've not built my hopes up because I didn't expect the government to be like yeah everything you said is absolutely right we'll get it fixed for you tomorrow you know it was like oh we've got this in place and you know there's no plans for this but you know we protect this and that and it, it's like but through the campaign, so many survivors came forward and said, you know what, thank you for saying that because that's my experience too. Like I went through that too. This is my story too. And it, it connected me up with so many, a community of people affected um, by this issue. And I felt like I'm doing the right thing. Um, so when I got a lame response off the government, I basically went to my MP and she's agreed to raise the matter with, you know, the justice minister and the shadow justice minister and i feel like wow you know maybe we're getting somewhere with this um because i felt like i was talking about an issue that they've they're sort of saying they've resolved and then yesterday i think it was yesterday on bbc woman's hour there was a man on there being interviewed about his it, it's an unusual case it's a it's a male that's um been raped that's a, a, a you know reported it to the police and it's been years before it's not actually due to go into court until 2024 and he was saying the police told me not to get counseling because it could have and i'm like it's like it's still happening now that's the yeah. thing that i've been trying to say is that you can yeah. write legislation on a piece of paper but if you speak to all of the victims that have been through that and have felt two things one they felt like they were treated worse than the perpetrator like two, they didn't get any support, or there was actually active, like, like actively persuaded not to do it, or or advised not to do it, and that to me is something that needs to change. You know, the well-being of a person, especially someone that's a victim of no fault of their own, of a of, of an awful crime that changes your life and affects you for the rest of your life right into your adulthood. Like to not just be given the empathy, support 
and a system that protects them that they can talk without it breaking, you know, any rules or, you know, giving the, the defence any sort of like, you know, advantage of, yeah, just because you're a child that needs to talk. And, you know, I, I, think, I always found it odd because... Go on. I think, I think they owe you that because you lost your brother. Just tell me how... Um, how it led up to the abuse and also how it led up to your brother taking his life and the circumstances around that and how it happened. So, like, I think sometimes people think, like, with child abuse, it's like someone sneaked into your house through the back door or got past people and abused a child. But what happens is that a perpetrator connects themselves to a family. Usually they look for the vulnerabilities. So they look for somebody that's, you know, you know, maybe struggling or got poverty issues or, you know, a weakness. some sort of like chink of a weakness. And they become like a sort of, you know, extra arm and extra help, you know, being really helpful, finding a, a, a place in that, that, that family, in that community, so that that person, when they're coming in and out, nobody's going, oh, Who's that person? Um, yeah, so effectively, it was a, it was a friend of one of my older brothers. He'd become sort of like groomed himself into the family, and then at some point, um, my older brother, him, and another guy had moved into a, a flat, as you do when you're a young person. You're moving on into your own life, and that's where the abuse took place. Declan was Declan was raped. His case was always left on file because basically the, the criminal justice system said. He can't answer to the cross-examination, which I've always really struggled with because I think, well, that child's not here anymore, but that's their truth. And that's just getting buried because he can't, you know, participate in this almost pantomime-like sort of procedure, which is the criminal justice system. And it's like, but why do you think he died? And, like, I, I, I really believe that... I really believe that he just felt broken inside and didn't... There's a shame with sexual abuse that you feel that's not yours. And it's almost like you want you could wash yourself with 10 bars of soap and you wouldn't feel clean. And I could see that in his eyes. I could see that there was like a, an innocence broken, a seal broken, you know, something damaged inside your soul, not, not a physical thing, you know, you know, a personal, deep personal thing. And... Um, I don't even know if he really meant to go through with it because um, when I found when we found him, the scene that we found him in, and I'll never forget my mum's scream. Like I just never forget that day when I looked. I looked at my mum first actually because she was in the doorway and she was just shaking with like just just like shock and weeping and weeping. And I I, I remember just feeling I love this person so much, but I feel overwhelmed by I don't understand what. And I didn't have the capacity, Just I just grabbed onto her and held her and um, didn't understand. And I turned around and I saw him and he was passed away. And so we tried to resuscitate him, but he was dead a long time. And um, it was very traumatic, you know. I saw them zip up the body bag as they were taking him out on the trolley. And there was reporters there asking us questions. It was just, just this crazy, like, surreal, you know, you're a child. And then so, like, after that, the, the authorities, well, they couldn't, couldn't 
give us much help as much as they could find them. And it was like anything we can do. And it's like, we were, we were asking for this. And like, now we don't trust you and I don't believe in you. And the children didn't want to engage with it. It was like, just like nothing mattered anymore. And like, that's why you go on the self-destruct. Cause it's like, I don't know how to process these feelings. I'm 15 years old. And so it was just shocking. It was like an asteroid coming out of space and landing on earth. It, just made this massive crater, this massive impact. It's just like broken, broken thing that you had to pick up the pieces. And yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm shocked that it happened to us, but I can't change that bit. I can change the bit before possibly, or I can influence it, or I can have a voice on it, or I can be a voice for Declan that he never had. Tell me, I know you say that it, blew the court case wide open. So after Declan took his life, what did they say about the court case? So the perpetrator wrote a guilt letter to my mum saying that he deserved everything that he was getting. He changed his pleas, but he changed his pleas against some lesser charges against me. Um, and then basically the CPS said to my mum, do you really want to put your children, your grieving children on, on the stand in a lesson weakened case because the, the brother's gone and he can't speak for himself. And so I think the CPS and the solicitors and the barristers or whoever was dealing with it, did a plea bargain, this sort of, you know, they, it takes a responsibility for some of the the crimes, but he doesn't accept all of them. There's no trial, there's no jury. And he was sentenced to four years. Um, wow. And then at some point, shortly, af shortly after, he was, he appealed. And the judge halved his sentence to two years and he, he did 12 months in jail. That's shocking, isn't it? Uh, and some, I know, and sometimes, you know, <laughs> I think it's shocking. Like, I once rang the police and said, you know, a bit like Sarah's law, like, am I allowed to know where this perpetrator that affected my family is? Because I've got nephews and nieces in my city and he might be in the city. You know, that's a fair enough question. And their, their answer was, we have to safeguard him. So we can't give you that information. And I'm like, well, what about safeguarding the children? And they were like, that's and what just about, the position. And what about like, safeguarding Declan at the time? Exactly. Exactly. So, but you, um, in a way, I can, think... yeah, go on. Go on, sorry. Sorry, no, because there's a slight delay. So it, um, sometimes I don't realise that you're just about to talk. So get, you go ahead. It, it's an incredible, powerful story, isn't it? And I think the the way you've turned your mindset around and um, created something uh, positive um, and uh, with inspired youth and also carrying on with um, Declan's law. Tell me, tell me what inspired youth does. Well, Inspired Youth is about telling stories, but telling them in collaboration with, so not telling them about, 
So it's not me doing a story about you, it's you and me working together to say, what is my story? What are the things that are important to me? What is the change that I want to see? What is my key messages to the community? And I create sort of professional media campaigns that are, you know, public facing um, about a social issue. You know, that could be anything from dementia, you know, to homelessness, to children in the care system. Um, and we work together on a journey that uses different art forms. I work with different artists. It might be, you know, theatre, it might be photography and design and the learn skills, but they're the sort of client, you know, they're the, they're the people sort of shaping the ideas and then the professionals are helping them to, to realise that. So it's about raising aspirations. It's about, you know, making people that don't feel included, feel included, um, you know, magnifying voices that don't normally get heard, you know, um, and yeah, working collaboratively, artistically, creatively in your community to try to make the world a better place together. Um, and we tend to have like, you know, sh showcases or exhibitions or presentations that bring it all together and invite members of the community, invite key stakeholders in them kind of issues and get people talking because it's a springboard for what can happen next. You know, I don't just do a project and that's solved that problem. It's, it's highlighted, if, it, if anything, it's brought a spotlight to it. And that's the same with, you know, if I can get media coverage, if I can go on podcasts like this, more people know about it. It doesn't necessarily matter that they don't necessarily go into Declan's Law and look at that particular case. It might be just that they're like, all oh, right, that's going on in our system. That's terrible. I want to know more about this or I'm going to be more mindful about it or just being more aware. Um, because I think the government is great, isn't it? Just like giving you the words that, sort of don't mean anything and if you're the person that's experiencing it you know that's just hot air and you want real change you don't want lip service you want someone to recognize it i mean i've been fortunate enough to come into the path of maggie oliver and the maggie oliver foundation and the amazing work she's done and she's been all over the media and it used to frustrate me because in the media you know they'll tell a story about jimmy savile they'll do documentaries on it you know they'll do it they'll do harvey epstein you know, they'll, they'll, they'll tell these massive stories and who the, who's the main character? <laughs> it's a perpetrator. Like, when, when do they do massive documentaries about survivors talking about their experience? They, they don't do it. It's not juicy. It's not, not you know, they, they don't want it. I, I feel like so someone like Maggie going in there and going, survivors, survivors, they've been left behind. The police did that. You know, I heard stories about, you know, the police almost, criminalizing children that have been exploited <laughs> sexually exploited or being like you know taken advantage of by these these county lines and stuff like that and sort of being made to feel like they might have done something wrong when they're the the victim and i think it's that you know we we are in a time where there's massive question marks over the police and you know about their conduct and about how they look after victims of crime i was on the same bbc woman's hour wrote, wrote a couple of things down it said sixty-two thousand people are waiting for crown court it's like a backlog that's from um october to december 2022 mm -hmm. and eight thousand of those are sexual and two thousand of them are raped and they're all people waiting and potentially being silenced don't speak to anybody the legislation says oh no we you know, the government, the Ministry of uh, Justice wrote to me and said, oh, no, we would never dissuade anybody 
from getting counselling. And then I'm listening to a radio programme yesterday on in 2023 of a, of a man, it's an actor's voice, but he's saying, I've been waiting all these years and I've not been able to talk. It's inside of me, the only person I've talked to about this is the police. And you're like, the system needs to change and I want to be part of that. So I'm doing my best to do that. How are you at the moment? Do you know, that's a good question, that. Do you know, I was thinking about this the other day when people say, when they ask questions, they're sort of like, how's your career? How's work? You know, how are you, how are you doing? Like, no one really asks you, are you happy? And like, if, if, if someone asks me, are you happy? The genuine answer would probably have to be no. I mean, I might be happy when I wake up in the morning, but if you put the news on for 10 minutes and you, and you listen to all of the negative stuff that's going on, you'd be, you'd be negative in 10 minutes. And I think... Think I, th I was listening to a a bit of the podcast with your dad, and you were talking about the news and how it saturates and it's fear and it it's, it's bad, isn't it? It's negative for your mental health, and um, so sometimes I struggle because I'm like I'm the person that wants to know. I want to be informed. My mum taught me, you know, to be educated, be informed about you know current affairs, and have a voice. Because if you don't know what's going on, you can't stand up against depression or you can't stand up for people you know with mental health issues or you can't stand up for better services so you sort of need to be in... so it's a juxta thing because i'm like i need the news but when i listen to it it affects my yeah my mental well-being so i'd say i'm a bit up and down like i don't think anyone's on a straight plane but i'm you know i'm privileged to do the work that i do and to meet people all the time and hear inspiring stories and watch people in transformation it inspires me all the time, but I think, you know, I, I struggle mainly with anxiety. It's like at the beginning of this, like I was having an anxiety attack inside, like, what's going on? Um, but yeah, once I get sort of like comfortable, I'm all right. But I just feel like we shouldn't let mental health stop us from doing things like it does in a way. And sometimes that's not possible to prevent sometimes getting out of the house is it's the same for me. It's keeping on top of things, you know getting everything done, you know, taking care of myself, making sure I go outside into nature. Um, it can be hard when you've got a full-time job and you're running lots of projects, but yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm an up and down person. I have some really dark times where I really struggle and I have, you know, negative thoughts. And then there's other times where, you know, the world's the whole full of possibilities and blue sky thinking and what can we do together to change the world, you know? So yeah. That's the honest answer. I could just say, absolutely amazing. I'm always a bit sceptical when people say that everything's great because I think we've all got problems. <laughs> Maybe we just share them less or more, depending on who we are. Yeah, the uh, people say to me, how are you so positive with like everything you've got to do with and your disability and stuff? And, you know, I'm like you, I have my my down days and my up times and my down times, but I just, I literally try and discipline myself to focus on the moment and my breath because that's literally all we've got. And, um, and yeah. I, think, I think you're, you're, you're doing an incredible job of, it's almost self help, isn't it? Um, with, with the things you're doing and yeah, don't just, just don't turn on the news. That's like the biggest, they, 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 you know, I, I call it a distraction 
and it's a distraction of what you should be feeling and that is the gratitude for each moment yeah i love that i think you know i've got i've got a few friends that say to me stay in the now you know stay present right now you know the past has gone and the future is yet to come like what can you do in this moment and not not just like oh i'll be okay in the future when i've got x y and z or when i'm feeling a bit more this that and the other like how can i make the best and find happiness and gratitude in this moment regardless of the circumstances and just do my best and shine my brightest i think that's one of the things like they, they, they call it confidence but i think we have confidence in different areas you know some of us might be confident about how we look or about how we speak or about how we paint or about how we work with mechanics you know there's lots of different confidences but like belief like self-belief i'm the kind of person that's like i'll be like have a moment where i like really express and then afterwards i'm a bit like oh I've, you know i feel a bit shy about that i'm like a bit embarrassed about it afterwards you know what i mean and I, i'm sort of teaching myself to say no don't edit that moment don't remove that moment because that's who you are that's you that's you expressing you and that's what we should all be encouraging each other to do you know in a way sing your song you know stand for your cause you know be that person that says, you know, I have them days too, but I want to encourage you, you know, that, you know, you can be in the now and you can, you know, these are my tips, these are my insights. And it's it's about connection and, and speaking and talking. I've, I've, I did a, a suicide prevention film last year with a group called York Ending Stigma. And they're amazing guys. They're all affected by mental health and well-being. Some of them have had attempts of suicide. Some of them just like live with the thoughts i said just it's obviously really difficult but they were like what can we do with all of this insight and knowledge so let's let's make a film and like what do you think about watching a film about sort of people with those kind of issues it sounds really depressing but actually when you watch it and they did like private screenings because they were it's a sensitive issue and they didn't they were worried about safeguarding people and triggers and all this stuff so they did it in an environment where it's safe and then they had a question and answer, but it was like, yeah, just in a way, just beautifully human. Like, sometimes I feel like nobody cares. Sometimes I feel like I'm not enough. Sometimes I feel like no matter what positive words somebody says to me, I feel like, you know, giving up and not being here. And I think it's like a lot of people have, have experienced that. If you look at the figures on suicide, you know, like a lot of people are dying in the silence too many every one of them's a life and a hole and a crater left behind so i feel i feel like that's part of the solution not even having a solution just talking about the problem just having someone to go shit so excuse me i can't afford my rent at the moment i can't deal with my cost of living you know having someone to to to, to lay it out on or just i think you know a concerning look back or what can i do to help it it's all them things isn't it it's what makes us human? Yeah, there is to me that the way the way I live my life is there is no past, there is no future, there is only now. Tell me, tell me, yeah. what's next for Declan's Law? What if you if you were in front of the Prime Minister? what what would you want to see like i know because you said to me earlier that um you know it, it, it you got so many signatures and it, it got heard and they came back with all this bullshit and excuses and what they are doing and self-defense and stuff but 
what what would you like to be done? I'd like to sort of exp I'd like to expose the fact that the answer or their defense of the system doesn't reflect the truth. And that if you can get honest with that and realize this is one of the worst crimes, you know what I mean? And the, the worst impacts on a person's life. They said something like 1.6% of rape cases are going to court. 1.6. The government are promoting that they've had a 0.5 increase over the last year and you're like, you're on a different planet. So I, I don't know what I would say to the government or to the Prime Minister. I think I would just say, please, I'm talking to somebody that's been through this as a, as a life. You know, I've lost a life through that process. All I'm really trying to do is stop and prevent that from happening again. You know, or if it's not suicide, it's a whole load of other social problems, you know. It's a whole load of, of other issues that people are having to need to get get over what i would do is say the system needs to put the victim first and not to make them feel like they're the perpetrator to feel like they're getting all the support they could possibly get and that that counseling is available and is it not an option for them and that if they take that support it will affect or or, or pollute or weaken their case because their case is that, that that's almost like saying you don't really believe if you're telling the truth. It's like, I don't like the way that the system leans that way. It needs to change. So I would just make it compulsory that, 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 that they can't dissuade people. You can't, you can't, the police need to be trained in it. You can't tell people not to get counselling. And if, if there is still a loophole, right, where if I talk to a counsellor, the, the, the defence is going to use those counselling notes in order to try to, you know, Put, put, put holes in my story like come on we need to change that part of the system because that's not what's happening because you, you're insinuating a victim is colluding and you're also insinuating a professional's got any motivation to do what is the motivation for that to me it just sounds ridiculous it's archaic it's like almost like you know years ago people who made these claims were just throw it thrown in the loony bin because you know they were talking nonsense it's like a victim has been through an experience, they're a victim of an experience that they have flashbacks about or that they feel insecure because of or that they've not been able to form relations because these are massive life-changing things. They're not, you know, small things. So, yeah, that would be the main thing. Make sure that, you, you know, that at all costs, without any consequences on justice, a child can get support when they're a victim of crime especially of a sexual nature. Come on, I don't think I'm asking even for much. If the government... So if you anticipate that all of the pushing is an awareness thing, so everyone gets to hear about it, but it doesn't necessarily get me the outcome that I'm looking for, which is Declan's Law, each time I'm raising awareness, each time I'm speaking on behalf of other survivors, each time I'm like motivating and encouraging them to use their voices as well, because together we're a massive army, and I found that you know, through the, through the, through the process. But... Actually, I can't rely on the government to give me the answer that I want. I will push him for it. I will try. I will go through my MP to try to ensure that. But I feel like I just need to tell the story. Tell Declan's story in a film, but include other survivors. To go and meet other survivors that have had exactly the same experience. Lots of them. 
because there are lots of them and just say it's not true that this legislation's been put in place you know it, it's not true for these particular individuals how do we make the system ensure this doesn't happen and that everyone's protected that's it if my viewers and listeners want to know more or want to get involved with anything you're doing how how do they do that well i'm on twitter at inspired youth um and kev underscore iy underscore current um on twitter um you can you can get in touch touch with me through my website inspiredyouth.org um yeah or drop me an email i mean i'm just like open to having conversations about people that can collaborate together to make a difference and you know like you using your platform to give you know me a voice and declan a voice it's it's a you know it's about that isn't it and then that hopefully helps somebody else or one of your listeners goes really glad that person spoke out because that's really helped me so thank you for for the opportunity and for for listening to me it's an absolute pleasure i think um i hope i hope we're friends for a very long time and you know any support i can offer then please ask and uh, I, I think i think you do an incredible job i think I, i'm glad you're still here to tell the story and i'm glad you're still here to inspire other people going through what you're going through who might not necessarily be as confident to come out and you know talk about it yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I feel like for, for years you do hide and you do feel shame, but like it's not your shame to carry, you know, you something happened to you that you didn't have a choice over. That wasn't out of free will. It's got nothing to do with you. And it it's easy to say it's harder to, to shift when you're the person, but I just took my power back and said, no, why am I ashamed that I was a victim? Like, why am I ashamed for standing up for other victims? Like I have to be able to say my own experience in order to have like, you know, actual stance. So that people think actually he's got an integrity there in what he's saying because he's been in that position. He's not just talking from an outside point of view, you know, and I think lived experience is powerful. It puts me in a stronger position to say to the government, look, you know, I've been through that system. I felt like that too. Um, I felt let down too, and you know, the, the amount of survivors and victims, I mean, even the people that got convictions, like some of these men are in, in that have done these things to these young girls and stuff, they're in jail for 15, 20 years, you know, the, the sentences are 15, 20 years. Oh. And, you know, that's, that, that, that's what it should be, because it, it's destroyed a life, effectively. But their experience of that system is, I felt like, the lesser person I felt like the discarded person I felt left behind. So I'm like standing on behalf of all those people too. On behalf of everyone, thank you so much. And um, thank you for coming on, on Astavision and telling, telling your powerful story. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Thank you too. Keep doing what you're doing. You too.